Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Good morning, Fizz Nation. Another beautiful Saturday in Central New York and a great week for Syracuse basketball. It's Fizz Radio here on the Score 1260. J.D. Rachi alongside Thomas Schultz. Of course, we're talking about the win over number one Duke, 95-91 in overtime at Cameron Indoor Stadium on Monday. We'll get into what that means, break down that game. We'll also break down today's matchup coming up at 2 o'clock. Pittsburgh comes to the Carrier Dome for another ACC battle. Much improved Panthers team. We'll get to them. And we'll talk a little bit of Syracuse football, losing a couple of pieces over the last couple of weeks. But, Thomas, the news of the week was that win over Duke, an absolutely crucial win, and Syracuse got it done in so many different ways. And what a win it was. I mean, Elijah Hughes at the butter buzzer at halftime. You got... Tyus Battle with 32. Frank Howard at a point made 12 of 13 for Syracuse. Everybody stepped up, including Pascal Chukwu. That's what you need to see from this team moving forward, I think. There were so many times where we were begging, you know, Tyus has got to step up. O'Shea has got to step up. Elijah has got to step up. And that's a lot of pressure to be putting on those guys. They are your leaders. They are the guys that you need to be doing the bulk of the scoring. But when you get Probably the performance of his career from Pascal Chukwu. Double-double, or career-high, 18 rebounds. He was absolutely fantastic. He even had the dagger with the alley-hoop from Tyus Battle. That what looked like a broken play, Pascal Chukwu saved it. This is what you need to see from Syracuse moving forward. This is the mark and the hallmark of a good basketball team and a really elite-level basketball team is that you get contributions from everybody on the roster. That's part of what makes a team like Duke so good. You've got Zion Williamson. You've got R.J. Barrett. You've got Trey Jones. You've got Cam Reddish. All those guys can score. All those guys are, are so good for you. can fill it up in so many ways. And then you've guys got guys off the bench like Duke does. Now Syracuse is starting to show that they also have that, and that's just because just going to make them such a tough matchup in the ACC moving forward. And the thing about this one, you mentioned Pascal Chukwu had 18 rebounds. Nine of those were on offense, so he was creating second-chance opportunities, something Syracuse needed because there were times, especially at the beginning of the second half, where you thought, all right, Duke's kind of stretching out the lead. They might run away with it. Of course, Tyus Battle was always there for the contested tough look that just happened to fall in. He's the king of that. He is the king. I've never seen... Another basketball player, maybe it's recency bias that I've never seen it, quote-unquote, but it's incredible the, the kind of tough shots he makes. And it wasn't just him. Frank Howard was making contested shots, something we haven't seen all year after the first half. It looked like, oh, it's just going to be another Frank Howard kind of game where he has, you know, puts up nothing at zero after the end of the first, but he comes roaring out in the second, kind of taking over for Elijah Hughes, who made a huge impact in the first half. Uh, and then you have Pascal Chukwu. Besides the boards, he had 10 points. And really, if you can get 10 points or even six or eight from Pascal Chukwu, that makes a huge difference for this team. And I think even me, maybe more important, more impressive than the fact that you beat the number one team in the country with the monstar lineup that they pretty much have there in their place at on the road. I think even more impressive, Syracuse put up 95 points. This team has been so anemic, so struggling on offense all season long, and it just kind of all came together. 
for Syracuse at the end of the day, and it all came together. It wasn't a tale of two halves where, you know, they put an off on an offensive show, obviously. I think Tyus had 20 in the first half. Elijah had 18-something along those lines. So it wasn't like they just came out super hot and then cooled off in the second half. No, they kept it up, and that's something we haven't seen this season. We haven't seen it in a long time from a Syracuse offense is the ability to run with a team like Duke and to score and to not have to play the most stellar defense. I thought the defense was pretty good, but Duke's going to fill it up either way, no matter how good of defense you play. They just have so much talent. But the fact that they were able to kind of keep that score going up and up and continue to be able to keep pace with Duke, who is one of the best offenses in the country, that's so important moving forward for Syracuse to continue to do that and continue to show off the offensive prowess. Well, and the thing about this one is, they actually drove the lane, something we haven't seen them do all year against Georgia Tech the game before. They just settled for contested jump shots. They never got in the lane. You never saw you never saw O'Shea Brissett, Tyus Battle, even Elijah Hughes drive the lane, but that's what they did in this game. They came out with a strategy, and it worked, and that's something I want to see them keep up throughout the rest of the season because, look, this isn't a team full of three-point shooters. Yeah, they can hit it occasionally, but... Occasionally these, might occasionally. be a nice word to yeah. use, considering yeah. how poorly they've shot it throughout the season. But in this game, they drove the lane, which is something I'd like to see continue. And maybe it was because they were trying to get Duke's big man in foul trouble. But, hey, it got him the win, and that's something that needs to continue. The one thing that a lot of national outlets have been bringing up, especially after the game happened, was, okay, well, Duke didn't have two of their best players. Cam Reddish was out with an illness. He did not play the entire game. Trey Jones, their starting point guard, and you might remember his brother Tyus was at Duke a while back, now plays in the NBA. But Trey Jones gets hurt. He collides with Frank Howard, and he's got a pretty serious injury that's going to keep him out indefinitely. I think it was an AC joint separation, something in his shoulder that is going to keep him out for quite a while. But I still think you can take a lot away from this win for Syracuse. Yes, you didn't do it against their full-fledged Duke lineup, but... Zion Williamson had one of the best games of a Duke freshman ever, and Syracuse still won. I just think that speaks to the resilience and the ability to shut down a guy like R.J. Barrett. You didn't really shut him down, but he didn't shoot the ball as well as he normally would. Jack White was 0 for, what, 9 from deep for Duke? And some of those are lucky breaks on Syracuse's end, but sometimes you need a lucky break when you're playing good defense and you're playing with the toughest team in the country. So the ability to be able to, even when Duke isn't at full strength, still shut down parts of their offense that, frankly, no other team aside from Gonzaga, when Zaga beat them, was able to do. That speaks volumes about the resilience and the ability of this team to really gear themselves up and get themselves going for an upper echelon matchup. And for Syracuse to be in this game for the 2-3 zone to work, the other team just can't has to shoot poorly from three, and Duke obviously did. But yeah, you mentioned, I mean, Trey Jones was out after the first four or five minutes, and that played a huge factor. I think he had the four steals in the first five minutes, so that's going to play a big factor. But look, that's that that shouldn't take anything away from this Syracuse win because when you have Frank Howard stepping up the way he did, Pascal Chukwu, I thought Zion Williamson was going to dominate in the paint, not just on offense but on defense too. And yeah, he got his on offense, but he's going to get his. You're just going to have to take that if you're Syracuse or, frankly, if you're any other team in the country. Zion Williamson's going to put up his numbers. R.J. Barrett probably will too, but these will probably be the one and two draft picks in the NBA draft. So if you're beating a team with that kind of talent, I don't think that should take anything away from this one. I just don't think you can because, yes, Cam Reddish is the number three recruit in the country. Yes, Trey Jones is a top, I think, 30 recruit, something along those lines, one of the best point guard recruits coming out of high school. And there is so much talent that you didn't have on the floor, but like you said, you've got R.J. Barrett and you've got Zion Williamson, two of the most electrifying talents 
And Zion's probably going to be the number one pick. I think I'm pretty confident in saying that at this point. Uh, From my perspective, I just don't think you can pass up on a guy with the unique skill set and athleticism that Zion has, and you can't go after him with a number one overall pick. But in most other drafts, R.J. Barrett is far and away, not even close to anybody, the number one pick. He's averaging over 20 points a game. That's the only pair in the country that's averaging over 20 points a game as teammates. You still got both those guys on the floor. Sure, there's a little extra pressure. Sure, they're playing a little bit more out of their comfort zone. R.J. Barrett has to play a little bit more on ball without Trey Jones in the game, but you still got so much talent. And Syracuse did a great job of coming up with a win, coming up with a playbook and a strategy and the ability to beat Duke on the road in Cameron Indoor. That was a huge win for Syracuse. But let's look ahead to what this means for Syracuse moving forward. We'll get to the pit game specifically, today's game in the Dome, coming up in the next couple of minutes. But... Let's look ahead to the remainder of the season. This is such a boost to the resume for Syracuse. Five losses already, a bunch of losses in the non-conference. Syracuse has never made the NCAA tournament without with the four non-conference losses that they have. And now this is this is you put this at the top of your resume. You point arrows at it. You put it in you laminate it. You glitter it. You make sure the committee knows, hey, we beat number one Duke on the road at Cameron Indoor, and that is so important for their NCAA tournament hopes. I mean, it's the cardiac cues at it again. I know the season's early. We just started ACC play, but yeah, you mentioned it. When you have four losses out of conference, you lose in a blowout to Georgia Tech at home. Yeah, they play a stingy two-three zone, but that's not a very good team right now. You needed a win. And I didn't think you were going to beat Duke, but hey, you get that. It's going to take a lot for the committee to overlook you now. And especially, I mean, Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, they just have all the players there. Most talent in the, in the NCAA by far. So Syracuse needed this, and I think they can you know, continue to use this as a hot streak, as some momentum going forward, but... This is going to be a tough pit team coming up. It's going to be a tough pit team. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I also want to talk about real quickly the fact that Syracuse, I think this proves, and I think football did the exact same thing, Syracuse plays to the level of its competition. It's actually astounding to me how much it happens. You think back to football season, you've got Clemson, you've got a lead against them in Death Valley in the fourth quarter, and then a couple of weeks later you play North Carolina to double OT at home in the dome. Okay, there are a couple of differences. I'm really it just it didn't make much sense to me. And then you look at this Syracuse basketball team, you lose to Old Dominion at home, you lose to Georgia Tech at home, and then all of a sudden you go on the road and beat Duke. I I <laughs> it's just this weird thing with Syracuse Athletics, they play right at the level of their competition. You're not going to get blown out very much. You're not going to do a lot of blowing out unless you're far and away the better team like you are maybe in some of those non-conference games, but you're playing right at that level of your opponent. It's very, very weird. I'm not sure I totally understand it, but it's certainly interesting for Syracuse football and Syracuse basketball. We talked about the Duke game. Now let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk all things Pittsburgh. A much better team this season are the Pittsburgh Panthers. New headman, new pieces. Should be a fun one in the Dome today. We'll break it all down. That's coming up on Fizz Radio. All right, folks, back here on Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. J.D. Rachi and Thomas Schultz here with you up until the 10 o'clock hour. And we talked about the Syracuse win over Duke on Monday, but a whole new game today, Pittsburgh in the Carrier Dome. And this is a much, much improved Panthers team from what we saw a season ago under Kevin Stallings. They got a new head coach, it's Jeff Capel, 
former head assistant at Duke, one of the best recruiters in the country, a guy that we knew was going to make an impact on the program. We didn't really quite know it was going to be this early, and the Panthers are also coming off a huge win. Well, the thing about Pitt and what he's doing there is he's recruited some great players. He brought in Xavier Johnson and Trey McGowan. They're both freshmen. They're leading the Panthers in scoring, so obviously he's relying on his freshmen, but it's really the guard play that's leading Pittsburgh, which could benefit Syracuse. I mean, Pascal Chuku, after what he did against Duke, maybe he could do the same thing against a Pitt team that's biggest man is six foot nine. So, you know, Pascal Chuku at seven foot two has got a big height advantage there. But yeah, Xavier Johnson, Trey McGowan's easily their be- best two scores. And look, Pittsburgh has four guys shooting at least 35% from the three. So they might be able to expose that zone. That's exactly what you want. If you're trying to pick apart the zone, you want to be able to shoot over it. That's the only way you're going to get results. Pitt's coming off the win over Florida State also on Monday. Two pretty big upsets in the ACC in that in that same day. But let's talk about how much and how improved this Pitt team is from a year ago. They went 8-24 and last year under Kevin Stallings. You want to know how many ACC wins they had? How many? They had zero. They went 0-18 in conference. That is so, so terrible. And now this season they've had this huge turnaround under Jeff Capel. They're 12-5, and and they're 500 in conference. They're 2-2. and That's not the best conference record of any team in the ACC. Certainly not. But at least you're coming away with conference wins. And it's not like they're doing it with guys they had last year. A lot of transfers out of the program when Kevin Stallings left. A lot of guys that just wanted to be away from Pitt basketball. And Jeff Capel has really been able to, like you said, three of their top four scorers are freshmen right now. He's been able to do it with young talent. And I think that speaks volumes about this Panthers team and the direction the program is heading in. Yeah, I mean, if you're a Syracuse fan, this is a team to watch out for in the future. Jeff Capel doing it the right way. He's bringing in a lot of young, young guys that... They're probably going to be there for a while. These aren't guys like Duke where they're going to be one and done or anything like that. But, hey, Jeff Capel did the same thing at Oklahoma a while back, too. He develops really good teams, and this is a Panthers team that, you know, they're in the middle of the ACC now after finishing last. Now you got Boston College down there in the cellar. But this Pittsburgh Panthers team is one to look out for in the future. And even some of this team's losses are pretty impressive. We talked about the Florida State win. That was obviously a big one. But in the non-conference in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, they were at Iowa, one of the top 25 teams in the country. At that point, a top 15 team in the country. They only lost by one. This is a pit team that's trending in the right direction, and it's so impressive because the turnaround has come so quickly. I think a lot of pit basketball fans were probably like, yes, great, we're getting Jeff Capel, we're going to be good, we're going to have to wait a little while, we'll be a little bit patient, but we're going to be good moving forward. I don't think they saw this kind of turnaround coming so quickly They have a win over Louisville, who just demolished UNC in the Dean Dome over the weekend. And then you got a win over Florida State, a close loss to NC State, another really good ACC team. This is a team that's heading in the right direction, and they're doing it with those guards. And I think that's where where basketball is kind of trending right now, is at the guard position and at the wing position. Obviously, you're not going to start four guards, or if you do, one of those guards is probably a little bit larger than normal. a normal guard would be. You think maybe Tyus Battle, a guy like that who's a little bit bigger. I think Jeremy Harris as well is a 6'7 guard, quote-unquote, from Buffalo, but we see him start at the three, but they're doing this so that they're a little bit more versatile, versatile on offense, they're a little bit more potent, and they've got athleticism on the floor. That's the way things are trending, and that's the way Pitt is having success. 
Well, I mean, yeah, you said it, JD. It's the guard play. But the thing is, those two freshmen that are leading, they're six foot three, so they are big guards. But Syracuse still has the height advantage there with Tyus Battle and Frank Howard. So I would expect them to, you know, try to bully Pitt a little bit. Probably try to do what they did against Duke. And hey, it worked where you just go inside, drive the lane. Get these young guys in foul trouble, maybe get a couple reach-ins on them. Just try to go against their youth and see if it pays off. And I think the interesting thing about this pit game is they are so talented and they are so young and they are on the rise, but at the same time, the zone is not something you typically see. It's not something you saw in high school. It's certainly not something you see very often in college either. So how are these young freshmen going to make the adjustment? Obviously, guys like Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, if he had played, and Trey Jones early on, have been able to make the adjustment to the zone and have the ability to do that, but you don't have Trey Jones or R.J. Barrett or Zion on this pit team. you got a bunch of guys like a Trey McGowans that can really make a difference for you, but are they prepared for the zone? That's something that's going to be interesting to watch today. If there's one guy who knows how to prepare against the zone, it's the guy who just lost to it in Coach K. Jeff Capel is a disciple of Coach K, so he's going to have some good tactics coming into this game, knowing how to exploit the zone, knowing what matchups to expose, or at least try to expose, but look, Jim Beheim's He's he's not new to this. He's been around for a while. And is he? Is he now? I thought he was new. <laughs> yeah, he's he's just he's been up. here for a while. Yeah. You're saying okay, yeah, yeah. So you know, he's gonna he's gonna go. He's gonna give it his best and see. Look, like I said, just expose the youth. I know Jeff Capel is a, is a great coach, but this is still a really young t- team. And even the best coaches, even Coach K, even John Calipari. They have some time to adjust with their freshmen, and it's not going to be any different for Pittsburgh. And they are going to need time to adjust. They have ju- they've adjusted quickly throughout this season, and as good as they have been throughout the year, Pitt that is, and as much as, the, as they have exceeded expectations this season, there are still some of those growing pains that come along with a young team. Right now, Pitt ranks 12th out of 15 teams in the ACC in assist-to-turnover ratio, and we know how good the top of that 2-3 zone, Frank Howard and Tyus Battle, are are getting their hands in passing lanes, using their length at the top of that zone to affect shots and to cause turnovers and create turnovers. That's something they did really well against Duke, and you got to figure... They have the upper hand because we talked about how this pit team has never seen the zone before. A lot of their guys haven't seen the zone before, and it's going to take some time for those guys to adjust, like you said, and add on to that that Syracuse is already pretty individually talented defensively. That could be where we see really the difference be made in this game. And for Syracuse on offense, if Pascal Chukwu and Marek Dolajai and the big man can really put up a performance like they did against Duke, make an impact on offense – Know, get 10, 15 points between the two of them, that'll make a big impact because, look, if you just keep relying on Tyus Battle, Frank Howard, Elijah Hughes, yeah, they're going to give you games like Duke, but they're also going to give you duds. So if you get the big man involved, get the whole team effort like they did against Duke, where for the first time all year, five players scored in double digits, that's going to make a big impact. I think that's the second thing that I'm most looking forward to watching in this game and not even rooting for a certain outcome, but just to see what happens. Number one is how the zone plays against the youngsters of Pitt, how they can really create problems for those young freshmen that are leading the Panthers team. But the other thing is, can we get the same depth of scoring, depth of output, depth of productivity that you saw against Duke? Is that going to be the norm moving forward, or is that going to be a major outlier like it was at Duke and how it just kind of came out of nowhere that Pascal Chukwu played well? Are you going to be able to get those games game in and game out 
from the bench and from those guys that you don't typically expect to contribute. I think this is one of those games that's really going to be a litmus test moving forward for how effective they are going to be depth-wise for the rest of the season. And that's the next step for the Syracuse team. Last year, Marek Dolajai, when it came March Madness time, he stepped up and became a player that he really hadn't been all year. We haven't really seen that this year, but it doesn't have to be him. It could be Pascal Chukwu or maybe both of them. But if you get a contribution, not just from your guards and Elijah Hughes, but from everybody... Look, who knows what you can do? I mean, last year they knocked off Michigan State and almost knocked off Duke and got to the Elite Eight. You know, if they can do that again this year, start earlier in the season against ACC play, the sky's the limit for this team. And this is a much more offensively talented team than they had a year ago. You didn't have a guy like Elijah Hughes that could take some of the scoring load off of O'Shea and off of Tyus. You have more depth. You have more shooting. It's just a matter of putting all those pieces together and Pitt's been a team that's been able to put the pieces together. We talked about the win over Florida State. Syracuse just topped Duke. And that, I think, brings up another point that I want to make here is this ACC, this ACC basketball season, has been one of the wildest things I've ever seen in terms of how a conference has gone so up and so down and has just beat up on each other. Syracuse beat Duke. Pitt beat Florida State. Wake Forest beat a top 15 team in the country in North Carolina State. Virginia's rolling through everybody, yet they're somehow not a top two team in the country, even though they're undefeated, which is crazy. And Tony Bennett's squad, of course, course, coming off the loss to UMBC in the first round. So maybe the you know the AP voters are a little wary of this team. But this team, this this conference is just so odd because everybody's beating up on everybody. And right now, I think top two teams are pretty obvious. It's Virginia and Duke. But then once you get into the middle tier, I think Syracuse could easily become one of those upper echelon teams. Right now they're sixth in the conference at 3-1 and one in conference, 12-5 and five overall, just behind North Carolina or just behind Louisville and behind North Carolina and in front of actually NC State and Pitt. I just think this conference is so odd because a team like Clemson can play with anybody. A team like Wake Forest can play with anybody as well. They just beat a really good NC State team, and it's just interesting to see. This is, I think, I don't know if it's a down year or if it's like a lot of teams are better than normal or if maybe those teams that we think are better aren't actually as good and they're losing to lesser teams. It's just a weird time trying to make sense of what the ACC is and who the really good teams are. I mean, outside of Virginia... I think most of these teams could beat the other teams. Look, Duke's going to rebound, obviously. But what's interesting is Florida State, a top 15 team before their loss to Pittsburgh, they're 1-3 in three of the conference. They're in the bottom half of the conference. So there's a lot of parity, which is good to see because usually you have your UNC, Virginia Dukes at the top, and they're kind of a step above everybody else. And that may still be the case this year, but Syracuse, they just beat Duke. They could beat a UNC, they could beat a Virginia Tech, and that wouldn't be a big surprise. You could say the same thing for an NC State team, a Pitt team, and a Louisville team that kind of came out of nowhere. Right, they just beat North Carolina by 20 a couple of, or two weekends ago in the Dean Dome. And then you, you look at the streaks that all these teams are on right now. You look at the top of the slate. Virginia's won 16 in a row. That's because they're 16-0. They're one of the best teams in the country. But then you look, nobody else has a winning or losing streak more than two games, aside from Boston College, who is 0-4 in conferences, lost five games. They're kind of the outlier right now, but they still have a better overall record than Wake Forest, who has won one game in a row. Everybody else has won one, lost one, won two, lost two. 
There's so much parody and there's so much back and forth. And I don't even think it's parody necessarily, other than that some really good teams are losing to some lesser teams and some lesser teams are playing up to the level like Syracuse does of those bigger teams. It's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out, especially come ACC tournament time, because I do think Florida State's one of the best teams in the conference, but they've now got themselves behind the eight ball at one and three in conference. So how is their seed going to end up once we get to the ACC tournament? Should be very interesting to watch. But the game that matters today, Syracuse versus Pittsburgh at 2 o'clock in the Carrier Dome. Keep it locked on Twitter at OrangeFizz for coverage throughout that game. But we're going to take another quick break here on Fizz Radio. When we come back, a little bit of Syracuse football talk. That's on the other side on the score 1260. Rolling right along here on Fizz Radio on the score 1260. J.D. Rachi, Thomas Schultz here with you up until the 10 o'clock hour here on the score 1260. We talked a lot about Syracuse basketball, went over Duke on Monday. Pretty big conference game, can they keep it up kind of game against Pittsburgh today in the Carrier Dome at 2 o'clock. But Thomas, let's move over to what's been the most successful program for a while on the Syracuse campus. It's a little weird still to say that, but the Syracuse football team, And we'll get to the schedule. We'll talk about the 2019 schedule. Don't worry. We'll do a full preview for you, and we'll break it down. We'll break down all the great games that are on there. But first, a little bit of bad news for this Syracuse football program. And not necessarily bad news. This happens every year. The fact that you guys have transferring and you guys have decommitting. And there are a couple of big ones this week. Quarterback Chance Amy transferring. He is going to go to Blinn College of Cam Newton fame down in Texas, a JUCO, one of the best JUCOs in the country. He's transferring. Nadarius Fagan, a linebacker for Syracuse, announced that he is transferring. Devin Butler announced he was transferring a couple of weeks ago, the wide receiver for Syracuse. And then in your 2019 class, you have a safety, Dorian Hewitt, decommit. That's a lot of exodus from the Syracuse football program. And again, it's not unnormal. Guys transfer all the time. But now that there's the transfer portal and this is becoming a bigger thing, people are a little bit more aware of it. But I do think there is one really big change coming for Syracuse football, and that's Chance Amy. The fact that he would have been your third quarterback on the roster probably would have been your backup, your direct backup to Tommy DeVito next season. Now you're left with two quarterbacks on the roster next year. Tommy DeVito and Clayton Welch. That's a scary thought for Syracuse. Not only because we don't know much about Clayton Welch, we don't know how good he is, but the fact that still, if you only have two quarterbacks, you're two injuries away from being in a really bad spot. Well, I think you're honestly one injury away from being in a really bad spot. I think, and the thing is, what's scary is Tommy DeVito, he's got a cannon of an arm, but he's still got to learn about pocket presence. Too many times when he was filling in for Eric Dungey this past season, he just got flustered. He got sacked. He threw the ball or he threw an interception, something of the sort. And he just took too many hits, something Dungy also did in his career. But with a good veteran line, you know, he, he's got to learn how to use that. But they're losing some guys on that line as well. So there's going to be some young guys stepping up, stepping in. And look, I, for one, am not looking forward to seeing Clayton Welch take a snap next season. It's not the ideal outcome, certainly. We saw him play a couple of times this season. He was a redshirt junior this year. He'll be a redshirt senior next season. So really, the fact of the matter is, technically, if he's, I don't know exactly what his academic situation is, coming over from another great Juco, Butte College out in California of Aaron Rodgers fame. So who knows? Maybe we have the next Aaron Rodgers on the Syracuse roster. We don't even know it. But technically, he might have enough credits where he graduates and doesn't come back to the program. Then you have one quarterback. 
I don't see that happening. I think Clayton Welch will be here next season. But, right, you had four quarterbacks on the roster this year. You had Eric Dungy. You had Tommy DeVito. You had Chance Amy. You had Clayton Welch. Now, all of a sudden, Amy's transferring. Dungy's graduating. All of a sudden, it's a problem. And it's a problem we really didn't see coming. We knew it was a little weird when Chance Amy committed and signed with Syracuse because he was a Houston commit for so long. I'm going to Houston. I'm going to Houston. Signing day, he switches Flips the switch, comes to Syracuse. We were like, okay, you're only one year behind Tommy DeVito. It's a little odd, but great will take you. You're a great player. He is an excellent dual threat quarterback, and you talk about a cannon. That's what Chance Amy has attached to his right arm. Either way now, you're in a situation where you have to pick somebody up moving forward, whether that be a grad transfer, maybe another Juco guy, just to provide depth at this point. Because having two quarterbacks on your roster is not what you need and not what we're going to see. This will not be the final quarterback situation for Syracuse. This has got to be Dino Babers' first priority heading into National Signing Day. Obviously losing Dorian Hewitt hurts. You might want to pick somebody up in the safety, something like that. But the good news is Syracuse has some slots available to add some guys and they're going to be scrounging around for a quarterback. They they really need somebody behind Tommy DeVito. And, yeah, like you said, J.D., this didn't seem like a problem. Chance Amy seemed like, you know, something goes wrong with Tommy DeVito. He's there as a backup. He's got a, he's a great runner, so that's kind of nice. But, look, this is this is not ideal. Tommy DeVito, while I said he's, he's probably going to be really good this next season, but he really still needs to learn about pocket presence and learn how to move around the pocket. And then you go into the secondary – I don't see the Dorian Hewitt loss as big of a loss. Look, Andre Sisco is not going anywhere. Evan Foster's coming back. And in the second and the cornerback position, Scoop Bradshaw's still there, but maybe Trill Williams to take his spot. He's gonna have to fight to keep that. And then Chris Frederick is really, I think, gonna have a really great season. He had a great year this year, but kind of went under the radar because of Andre Sisco. And that's great. Now you got a guy that, you know, maybe some defenses or some offenses, I should say, will try to test in the early part of next season. Then Chris Frederick, who know maybe maybe he's the next, uh, Andre Cisco of next year. I want to talk about one of the other transfers that we haven't gotten to. We talked about Dorian Hewitt losing him and having him decommit. He it seems like is trending toward Utah because that's the offer and then the official visit he took right before he decommitted. Uh, we talked about Chance Amy, how much of an impact that's going to have. Devin Butler. I mean, that's just a whole nother issue that we can get into and probably talk about for quite a while. But let's talk about Nadarius Fagan. You're losing two of your starting linebackers, and Nadarius Fagan would have been the guy, although he hasn't played many snaps at backer, he's played a lot of special team snaps, but he would have been a guy that you would expect to step up without Kylan Whitner and without Ryan Guthrie next season. And we knew it was going to be a vulnerable position. Yes, your top two recruits are two fantastic linebackers in Mike Ella Jones and Lee Koba, but those guys are going to have to learn quickly because they're going to now get more snaps than they might have expected to with Nadarius Fagan on his way out. This is a really surprising transfer. I thought he was going to come in and be the guy next year. Maybe that's just he kind of knew beforehand. He, he realized, hey, maybe I'm not going to get the playing time I thought I was going to get. I don't know. I'm just speculating here. But you have Andrew Armstrong. I think he could have a big senior season. And like you said, these young guys, Michael Jones, he's one of Syracuse's highest-rated commits in the past 10 years. So I'm very excited to, to see what he can do. And Lee Koba is kind of the same way. He's also one of the top three recruits in this class. So maybe Dino Babers was selling them on playing time. Maybe Fagan thought, I don't know if I can compete with these freshmen. I kind of doubt that because, you know, yeah, he had a few years in the program already, so it seemed like he'd have a leg up. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe Michael Jones will come in and make a huge impact from day one. I don't think these uh, these things are going to completely in these transfers and announcements and leaving the program. Like I said, 
it happens every year. We're just a little bit more hyper-aware now with the way social media is and guys announcing, hey, I'm transferring on their Instagram stories, on their Twitter, X, Y, and Z. We're a little bit more cognizant of it. I don't think it's an explosive kind of thing that, oh, my God, why is everybody leaving Syracuse? Syracuse is on the rise. We know that. I wouldn't worry too, too much about it. The only thing I'd worry about, now you've got the two quarterbacks on the roster. That is a problem Dino Babers is going to have to fix before the 2019 season gets underway against Liberty down in Virginia. That is going to be the season opener. And let's talk about that Syracuse football schedule. Officially, everything came out. We know exactly where everybody, every game is going to be played, exactly when it is going to be played. The only thing we don't know is the time games are going to be played. We'll run through it real quickly. At Liberty on August 31st, that'll be the opener. Then you go on the road to Maryland for a non-conference game, a Terps team that's coming off a pretty good year, beat a really good Texas team at the beginning of the season. Clemson is the big one, the home game against Clemson on September 14th. That's your early ACC game that you typically get. This year it was Florida State, a big win. Can they do it against Clemson? Western Michigan, Holy Cross, end out the non-conference schedule in back-to-back weeks. Then you've got at NC State on a Thursday night. The next week you'll have a longer week, which is nice. You'll get a Friday night matchup against Pitt. Another long week after that at Florida State. Home against Boston College and then back-to-back road games at Duke and at Louisville to end the season. It's an interesting, and then Wake Forest as well, I'm sorry, will be senior day. It's an interesting schedule for Syracuse this year. It's very exciting. I think there are a lot of good games in there. I think Maryland's going to be an underrated game. And, of course, that Clemson matchup's going to be huge. Yeah, no, it's going to be a great schedule, and I think this one really bodes well for Syracuse. I think there's a lot of very winnable games this year, and really getting Tommy DeVito more comfortable playing as a starter, This is there's not much more Syracuse could ask for here. And we have a great article up on the website on orangefizz.net. Tyler Aki wrote it one of our favorite people here at the Fizz, evaluating Syracuse's 2019 football schedule. And I think he talks, he he breaks it down pretty well, and he breaks it kind of into two separate parts. You get a tough opening stretch. Obviously, Liberty's not a tough game. It's just, it's not. But you've got Maryland and Clemson in back-to-back weeks. Those are two really good teams. Then you've got NC State and what's going to be a pretty good pit team as well in the middle part of that schedule. But then you got Duke-Louisville-Wake Forest, three of the lesser teams in the conference at the end of the season for a soft back end. Tyler currently has his way-too-early prediction at 9-3. What are you looking at the schedule preliminarily, knowing what we know now, you know, nothing too far into the future, but looking at it right now, where do you see this thing shaking out in 2019? I, I agree with him there. I think that's you know a pretty reasonable prediction. Obviously, a lot can change. I could see an 8-4 year. I could see a 10-2 year, but I think that Maryland game is going to be a great test for this team. I think Tommy DeVito is going to get his real first big-time game experience as going in as the starter. I mean, obviously, Liberty, you expect a win there off the bat. Clemson's going to be a fun one, but of course you got Trevor Lawrence coming to the dome. That's not going to be an scary easy thought. Game. That yeah. team is going to be so good. Yeah. Watching the national championship game, they're so young. I thought T. Higgins, who was their top wideout throughout the year, was a senior. He's a sophomore. He's going to be a junior next year. Justin Ross, who annihilated Notre Dame and then annihilated Alabama, two of the better defenses in the country. He was a true freshman. Trevor Lawrence, a true freshman. That's a scary team. That's going to be a great game. A lot of people think that could be game day, college football game day next year. Tim Leonard has a piece up on the site all about that, breaking down how likely that is to happen. 
It's going to be a fun 2019 football season. Only two quarterbacks right now. There's time for that to shake out, but it should be a fun one in 2019. See if they can build on the momentum that they started to really lay the foundation of in 2018. All right, one last quick break here on the Score 1260, but when we come back, everybody's favorite segment, it's time to hear from Fizz Nation. Fizz Feedback's on the other side. You're listening to Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. All right, wrapping things up here on Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. J.D. Rachi, Thomas Schultz here with you up until the 10 o'clock hour. Just a couple of minutes left in the show, and now it's time for everybody's favorite segment. We always save it for last, so we know you're sticking around with us because we know you just want Fizz feedback so darn bad. A couple of polls we put out earlier in the week, and let's talk about one with which was what something we just talked about, Thomas, and that was the 2019 football schedule coming out. We asked, which 2019 football game are you most excited for? Options were Clemson, Wake Forest, which is senior day, Florida State, which is probably the best road game of the year, and Boston College, the rivalry at home. And far and away, this one wasn't very close, 93% say Clemson, defending national champions coming to the Dome in Week 3. I can't say I disagree with, with, Fizz, uh, with Fizz Nation here. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be Clemson. After what Syracuse did, going down to Death Valley and almost pulling off another great upset last year, it's going to be really interesting to see hey, what, ha- what happens the third time they come around. But look, I think Willie Taggart and this Florida State team could be very interesting. He had an abysmal first year there. Really I'm, bad. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested good. to see what he can do this year. If he can turn it around and kind of get his guys in the program, that'll be a very fun, up-tempo game. And, you know, could be very competitive to see what happens there. And then that Maryland game, I think, is a very good test for not just Tommy DeVito, but this offensive line that's got some veterans on it, but also has a lot of youth and a really good young defense. Florida State going to have DeAndre Francois coming back, their star quarterback who had very much a down year and then was injured two years ago. So who knows what we're going to get from DeAndre Francois in his senior season. But I love the responses to this poll as well. M. Wiseman, Wise44 on Twitter goes, is this really a question? Well, it it was a question we had to ask. We kind of knew what was going to happen. Clemson is far and away the headliner of the 2019 schedule for Syracuse football next season. That one is going to be a lot of fun. Let's think turns things over now to the basketball side of things. Fizz feedback. How well do you expect Pascal Chukwu to play against Pitt today? That game coming up at 2 o'clock. Make sure you lock it in at Orange Fizz for all the coverage throughout. Options. Another double-double like he did against Duke where he was had his best game of his career. I think that's pretty standard to say at this point. Five-plus points and five-plus rebounds. That's better than what he typically does, so that would be nice. Or he won't be a factor. I'm interested. At, I, I, I'm intrigued by the responses to this. 9% say another double-double. So a lot of people don't have faith that he's going to have two explosive games back-to-back on Monday and then on Saturday, which is what we would like to see from Pascal Chukwu. 49% the winner of the poll, 5-plus points and 5-plus rebounds. 42% he won't be a factor. I tend to agree with Fizz Nation again here at the 51%, which it just jumped up to here on this poll right now in the middle of the show. Five-plus points, five-plus rebounds. I tend to agree that's probably where he'll end up. Yeah, and I think that's a good game from Pascal Chukwu. We've seen a lot of duds from him where he kind of isn't a factor, but I could see him be a a double-double in this game. I don't think it's likely, obviously. I would say it's probably about a 10% chance. 9% of Fizz Nation says that he will. But the thing is, he's going up against a Pittsburgh center that's just six foot nine. He's actually a power forward, so Pascal Chukwu is going to have a lot of length there. And look, after coming off the game against Duke where he was going up against guys like Zion Williamson, who's got 60 pounds on him, 
maybe strength just isn't as big of a problem as it used to be for Pascal. And maybe the thing against Duke that he showed is he's finally learning to use his length. He's going up, rebounding the ball, and then keeping the ball high instead of bringing it down where it would get stripped and people, the other team would take it away from him. And he's also going and putting the ball back up, which is new for Pascal Chukwu. It shouldn't be seven foot two, but it is. So I think he probably will be around five plus points, five plus rebounds. I could see him get you know eight and eight or something like that. But I don't think that's a great game. That's a great game for him. It's going to be interesting to see what Pascal Chukwu. I think there's a like you said, there's a lot of potential in this game for him to step up. Now it's a it's a matter of whether he can do it in back to back games and build positive momentum for himself. All right, just about less than a minute in the show, we're going to get through this last one real quick, but it's maybe the most important one. After the Duke win, how confident are you that SU makes the NCAA tournament? 81% say still a lot of work to do. 9% say 500 the rest of the way will get them in. And 10% say they're a lock. I'm going to disagree with Orange Fizz and Fizz Nation here. I think 500 will get them into the NCAA tournament. That is a humongous thing to put at the top of your schedule if you're Syracuse. We'll have to wait and see. It's going to be a fun rest of the season for Syracuse basketball. That all starts today against Pittsburgh in the Carrier Dome coming up at 2 o'clock. Keep it locked at Orange Fizz on Twitter for coverage throughout. For Thomas Schultz, I'm J.D. Rochi saying so long, Fizz Nation, and enjoy the game today in the Dome.